Welcome to Season 3 of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, a podcast about the Bay Area, technology, and culture. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha Kekis-Wolf. Hey, uh, Sunil, have you ever thought about being a venture capitalist? I've thought about it. For sure, I've thought about it. But that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> You're like that's that's it. Um, I you know honestly didn't even know what a venture capitalist was until well after I had graduated from undergraduate school, and um, I I was kind of fascinated in our conversation today with Kobe Fuller, who happens to be a general partner at Upfront Ventures, learning about the fact that he was first introduced to venture capital as a junior in college. That just to me seems uh, completely uh, abnormal. He is like one of these fast risers, extremely successful people, but he's also just, you know, so generous with, you know, his time and community service. I mean, he created a site called Valence. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, I mean, Kobe is a, a really uh, unique person. I feel fortunate to have known him for a long time. He's been an operator. He was the CMO at Revolve Clothing. Um, he's been a venture capitalist at multiple firms. Uh, he's also a contributor into the black community. And in particular, over the course of the last few years, has been nurturing and building what's called the Balance Community, which is a networking site uh, to help black professionals kind of get connected to other black professionals, uh, which is incredibly relevant always and right now even more so. Really timely, really great interview, and I appreciated uh, Kobe's candor on uh, on many subjects that we're talking about yeah. today. This is a great conversation. We hope you enjoy. Kobe, it's awesome to see you. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here with you. We're doing that. We're doing this on a Zoom call, and you and I can see each other, and we just see Sunil as like a little phone icon. How's it going, Sunil? Not bad. Uh, I'm... I'm just going to be, I'm just going to lean into it. The reason you see the phone icon is because I have not gotten out of pajamas today. I'm, I have no intent of going on video. <laughs> you just go, I'm like, ashamed I am in pajamas, you know, so yeah, it's me, you know, <laughs> you just go chest up in the, in the, the photos. You have no idea that, that I'm wearing shorts today. Sunil. this is like casual Friday for me, but it's a Thursday that we're recording this. Kobe, really, uh, we appreciate yeah, you being here. I, you, you don't live in the Bay area right now, do you? I do not. I live in Los Angeles right now. <laughs> We're going to get there in a second. I, I love talking about LA, but you did spend some time in the Bay Area. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in the Bay Area? No, I grew up in Boston. So I'm an East Coast guy, diehard Boston sports fan as well. Red Sox, Pats, I'm a little bit salty that Brady and Gronk left us, but we, we won't <laughs> get into that. That's a whole other long conversation, but I'm, I'm a Boston guy. And and as you were a kid growing up in Boston, did you ever think there's a point in time where I want to live on the West Coast? And do you ever think about the Bay Area first? Not really, though. Actually, this is the first actual encounter with San Francisco was, I didn't think about this, my dad was in the Bay Area for a business trip and he came home with this stuffed dog. And it was probably one of my first stuffed animals that I had association with as a child. It was my San Francisco doggy. I didn't think about this. So that was my first awareness that San Francisco even existed. So there you go. But besides San Francisco doggy, no, I had no idea I'd ever lived in the Bay Area. That's funny. A San Francisco dog. Sunil, do you know of like a San Francisco dog mascot? Or is that like maybe the, was that a, just a bad stuffed animal of the, of the seal? It was that you probably picked up at the airport to make <laughs> sure he brought something back to us. Three-year-old son. <laughs> so, so if, if I you know never nothing about mascots, 
<laughs> at all, right? Like nothing. But you stuffed animals. You have a lot of stuffed animals. I got a couple. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm teasing. The sometimes the delay for us in the Zoom videos makes the jokes not work. It's just the reality of podcast. Um, so, so as a kid growing up in Boston, you kind of maybe have this little reference to the Bay Area from from your father from a business trip. Um, what did you start doing in the East Coast that brought you out to the West Coast, and why was San Francisco a spot that you ever moved to? Yeah. So the, the journey happened over time. And I can start a little bit back from just early days growing up. So I grew up in Boston, went to Harvard for undergraduate degree. Honestly, didn't even know what Harvard really was besides stop on the, the T <laughs> as I was in Boston. But a real key part of my life was athletics growing up. I ran track and was one of the fastest sprinters in the country in high school and then started getting recruited by a bunch of colleges got ivy league letters and i was like oh wait a minute like people are reacting a lot differently to this harvard letter maybe i should think about going here and decided to get you know go because i got in so why not and then honestly <laughs> why not <laughs> whole, why not why not uh, but I wasn't that kid, like, I need to go to Ivy League school. Like, to me, it was just, you know, not really a focus that really was focused still on academics. And then I got exposed to this whole world of technology and entrepreneurship while in school where a buddy of mine who was on the track team but also the soccer team came with an idea around using the internet to connect soccer players with recruiters. I didn't even like soccer, but I was like, okay, this is kind of a – interesting concept and raised a couple million dollars in angel capital and started meeting with venture capitalists. I had no idea what that was. All I, you know, they were, was people that could help keep our company alive. Yeah. And, you know, it, uh, it got to a point where we also had to shut the company down, but I got enamored with this role of being able to give a company money, help it grow, grow and be just that, you know, financial aid as well as operational sort of expert on the board. And from that point on, I became obsessed with trying to be in the world of VC. And it was over time where the journey brought me to San Francisco. But that was kind of where I kind of started seeing links to the Bay Area. It was through trying to seek out capital to fuel ideas to build companies. I didn't know that uh, that backstory about you. So you didn't plan to be a venture capitalist. That was not a, a thing that was in your mind up until you had that experience. Yeah, but I mean, that was junior year of college. So I mean, yeah. think about I want to be a venture capitalist while like a junior in college is pretty pretty early on to be I so agree, obsessed yeah. with that. I mean, I literally wrote physical letters to every Boston VC because I didn't want to go to the West Coast at the time. And I maybe got like one response back, another physical letter back. It was someone saying, no, like, go get like some banking experience and maybe I'll give you a job. So I was like, why do you even go through the process of writing a physical letter back? Just like, I was like, that's kind of mean, but I, I really was persistent on trying to get into the, uh, the actual field. And then the way I first started was I joined Inside Venture Partners a year out of school where they hire analysts into entry level roles, you know, pretty much boiler room, smiling and dialing, trying to source opportunities and then just got lucky and, you know, my first few months on the job, exact target was one of the first investments that I ever pushed forward and did. And you know, ultimately got acquired by Salesforce for a couple billion dollars. So that, that was that was a good way to start trying to make my way in the world of venture by 
investing in a company like Exact Target and <laughs> just continue plugging away. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's good success uh, right off the bat for sure. But, you know, I think this this group is a little bit insidery. So we all know how hard VC actually is. And so I think there is a perception for those who are not in venture capital that it's glamorous and that it's, um, you know, given and you're going to make a ton of money and all of that. I've so often heard the story that, you know, people spend eight years on it and don't make anything. Uh, and, um, and kind of, you know, like that, that to me is the, m- the more often untold story. I mean, tell us about how hard it is to make money in venture capital. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a grind. I mean, so, so back in 03, when I was at Insight, there was definitely not nearly as much capital out there looking to get into deals. So it really felt almost like shooting fish in a barrel. And like fast forward to where we are right now, it's hyper competitive. And there's so many other new funds, existing funds that have raised lots and lots and lots of capital deploy into so many new stars are being created because it's so much easier to start a company right now where you got to just one, be so aggressive hustle and differentiate yourself relative to your competitors Two, is have a nose for what you think could have the ability to be an outside performer to the point where it's a multi-billion dollar company relative to the noise of frankly, most other businesses that will just frankly die and that environment now versus the way it was in early two thousands, it's like not even close. And you're doing this all in the backdrop where you start pulling, building a portfolio together. There's always one or two companies that you're managing that probably has their hair on fire. So you have to then battle the overall personal mental health around, okay, I know that I'm trying to hunt new deals, manage my existing portfolio, help the companies that are doing really well, but also fall through to the commitments I gave certain portfolio companies that may be struggling and help them out. And at any given point, you probably have this fire that's burning in the background that you kind of like have to pay attention to, but kind of ignore. And it really is tough to balance all that at once. And it's not for the faint of heart. So it's not like this. I actually had a buddy who was exiting a company and said like, yeah, they're going to look to retire into being a VC. I'm like, okay, let's see how that works out for you. <laughs> retire to being a VC. And now he's a VC. I don't think he's, feels like he's in retirement, but it's a, <laughs> it's a very difficult job, but it's one where if you enjoy meeting with entrepreneurs, if you enjoy help building companies and you actually most importantly enjoy the journey, you will. Yeah. Well, so, so let's, Let's let's dig into this a little bit more. So we're a we're a podcast entitled "This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley," which, to a certain extent, you know, certain extent implies Silicon Valley snobbery. And you're in LA, so I want to go down this path a little bit. So um, let me play Silicon Valley snob. Um, okay, well, yeah, there's all this narrative around. Oh yeah, you know, great companies can be started everywhere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you look at the look at the data and look at the exits and, and this and that, like, you know, sure. New York has a couple now, MongoDB, Etsy, et cetera. LA has, you know, a few ring snap, et cetera. But you know, those are the exceptions rather than the rules. Like again, to our listeners, so we don't get outrage emails. I'm playing Silicon Valley snob. I don't necessarily ascribe to that view. 
but you know, is the LA startup ecosystem like, you know, as good as Silicon Valley and you can use any measure you want to compare it, but is it as good? I'd say it's different. It all depends on how you're defining like good. So the reason why I left, well, part of why I left the Bay Area and came, came to LA is because I wanted to expose myself to different types of entrepreneurs and also be around different types of people that could start expanding my thinking and my, and my overall approach to the types of businesses I want to fund and looking at new types of media entertainment companies or consumer DSC product companies or people that are more focused on the content experience layer versus the underlying infrastructure that helps deploy some of these companies. So for instance, there's a business that I seed funded called The Wave that's based in Los Angeles. The Wave started out as a VR company looking to allow DJs to go into VR and perform like full on DJ sets to participants that would be tapped in in VR. So I mentioned that business to some of my um, you know, people in the Bay Area years ago, and I had people look at me like I had a sixth head, like that's the dumbest idea ever, like VR DJing, like, that makes no sense. Immersive concerts, that's the dumbest idea ever. Fast forward to where we are right now, especially in a global pandemic where people are you know, shut inside and not going to concerts anytime soon and Coachella was just canceled. They are now focused on creating a new type of live entertainment experience where some of the biggest artists on the planet are signed on to perform in a video game real-time interactive type concert experience. And we just closed a $30 million Series B round with the likes of Scooter Braun, A-Rod and others in Mavron leading to reinvent music as we know it. That's not a company that you're probably going to see built in the Bay Area. Yeah. That came out of Los Angeles. And it feels very LA. Angeles, it's very LA. It's very LA. And it's those types of businesses that you're, I think you're going to see more and more of that come out of the Los Angeles ecosystem. So that's kind of why I decided to come down to Los Angeles and really start deploying capital here as well. I still come up to the Bay Area quite often. JetSuite X makes it super easy to come in the Bay Area backyard and still hunt some of the great companies that exist there. So I'm not going to crap on the Bay Area. It's still a great place. I just enjoy my home here and can actually have it both ways. So that's, I don't know, that helps answer your question. I mean, also another company that I just uh, led a Series A on is a business that's working to reinvent the way uh, used cars, especially certified pre-owned, operates where they're creating their own alternative to certified pre-owned for independent dealers and franchise dealers that don't have the ability to actually certify those cars because potentially they're not uh, make that is you know connected to the actual dealer that they uh, the franchise they're associated with. Like used cars is probably something that a lot of Silicon Valley doesn't care about either. Right. It's not we're not exactly the, the capital of uh, urban sprawl in, in the Bay yeah, Area. But Los Angeles, we spend a lot of time in our cars. Well mm-hmm. actually Bay Area you gotta do too now, I guess. Because <laughs> the, the traffic between uh, Alto and San Francisco has been horrendous. But I mean that's another example of like a prime 
Los Angeles company. And um, so I don't know, that kind of gives me at least a flavor around why I think LA has a DNA to build different types of new emerging technology businesses that you probably wouldn't see come out of the valley. I want to talk a bit about the Valance community, which is a, a project and a, maybe a product and a community that you founded. Um, and I, I want to tie that into the, your last comment. Like some, certain things have happened for you, certain kinds of businesses have happened for you because of Los Angeles. Is the Valance community, one, can you tell us a little bit about it? And two, um, can you tell us if LA has had an impact on you starting it? Yeah. Okay, so let's see how much we can get this. So Valence was created out of the response to hearing both some of my portfolio companies as well as, you know, corporations as a whole saying they have the intentions to hire more diverse talent, specifically potentially black talent a couple of years ago. But I was always here, this follow-on comment, I just have no idea where to find them. Or even different funding sources saying they want to fund more black founders, but they have no idea where they are. And it'd be funny where I'd have people come to me like, Hey, Kobe, you're black. You probably know every black salesperson, black engineer, black founder, like introduce me to all of them. It's like contrary to popular belief, all don't know one another. (laughs) So I I thought, wait a minute, what, what, what would be really interesting is if there was a platform that did allow us to know one another, all of us. And a lot of the existing organizations, infrastructure that's put in place has naturally siloed the, the black community, whether it's through different ERGs, alumni associations, or the like. So I thought, why not create a interactive database of black talent? Honestly, the first initial prototype that I created was inspired by Yasha, the Growthverse visualization that you and I did around visualizing marketing tech companies. And create a brand layer around elevating the whole community through the lens of superheroes. So I was just doing this on the side because frankly, I was just pissed off and I wanted to see something actually done to remove that issue off the table. And then as I was building out this concept, I was getting feedback from whether it be corporations or other VCs saying, wow, that's a great idea. Either I want to you know, tap in and pay for the data or potentially want to fund the company. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm a VC. Fun, fun, my own idea. <laughs> I need your money. So we, as up front, incubated it and started building out a small team to start beta testing the idea, getting feedback. Fast forward to November of last year, we went public with an alpha and got an initial really good positive reception around the concept. Where we are today is we have close to 8,000 professionals on the platform, connecting, helping, mentoring one another. We have this concept of boosts where people can raise a flag saying they make themselves available for 30-minute micro-mentorship sessions to help someone else in the community. And the overall mission right now is to really create a central place for Black talent and allow them to access economic opportunity where before it may have been hard to actually tap into economic opportunity being board roles, senior leadership roles, and then funding. And we're doing that through structured means with the platform. So it's something that is to me really needed in today's world. And I'm just trying to, you know, do at least my small part to try to try, try to drive some scalable impact leveraging technology at its core. 
So that's what that's what Valence is right now. It's it's a, a passion project that's actually a real business, and it's it's it's, it's big money business. This is actually can be, and my hopes it will be a very very large company. So this this is I mean it's great that you're that you're working on Valence, and and it sounds like it's just it's creating a lot of you know positive impact on on the community. I have a couple of questions and we were talking about this before the call. So right now the black community is top of mind to many across the world, uh, given, you know, we're recording this now on what's the day today, June 11th. And it's been a couple of weeks since the, you know, horrific incidents uh, and the murder of George Floyd. Um, what's your sense of the momentum and, you know, like we, you know, I feel like the United States is sort of a momentum society in a way in stuff, you know, gets exciting and we get, you know, we get into causes for, for a few weeks and, and, you know, it's very sad, but we let some stuff drop. Like, do you feel like this is different and do you feel like the momentum will continue and just what's your overall take? My hopes are that this is different. My hopes are not, well, hopes are that this is not just a, a current fad, almost like you said, where, it's good to jump on the marketing bag bandwagon saying you support black lives matter, black culture, and that, you know, fast forward six months from now, and it's just not something that's of top concern. I think this does feel different. Part of the reason why I think it does feel different is because I think people realize that if you don't think about black, if you don't prioritize black, it's now it's now a business issue. This is something before where people thought, okay, it's something that I should care about, but I'm just going to put in this bucket right here. And like, if you think about what it means to actually support the black community, to actually elevate black voices in your company, to actually have them at the C-suite, at the board table, to actually give them influence and to actually have them interwoven throughout your entire organization and not actually do something where you're trying to increase the pipeline, but you're actually creating better mechanisms for retention, mentorship, and growth. That's going to result in your organization thriving as a whole. And I think smart companies will realize not only is it the right thing to do from a business perspective, it's the right thing to do just from a overall, just like humane perspective. Like, it's crazy to me that there's a controversy around people making a steer a clear steer around whether black lives matter. I mean, like you can't say black lives just matter. I don't know. It's something wrong with you, in my opinion. And I think also, and I'm maybe rambling here a little bit, but it's it's also something where corporations need to realize where they currently stand right now and how optically they're perceived by the community. Because I think a lot of companies are just waking up to, wow, this is an issue. And the black community has been seeing this all along. I've, I've grown up always being afraid of cops because of just the, the way it is to feel like a black man through society. And then when the black community sees these horrific, you know, murders on, on social media, they, they see themselves potentially in that position because we easily can be in that position, whether it's me or like my two sons. Yeah. So I think it's really important for corporations to take a stand to drive change right now because it's the right thing to do 
on all levels, but it's also the right thing to do from a business perspective. And then also really making sure you understand where you sit on that overall sort of the spectrum, because there's some organizations that are part of the problem and may not even realize it. And when they come out with these fake marketing statements, it's just insulting. And those organizations probably won't be around very much longer, or you're going to see a fundamental change in their senior leadership because like that's, that's not going to be tolerated in today's world. So it's, it's, it's a trying time that I'm, I'm optimistic that people are stepping up, making clear decisions or putting capital work to help solve this issue. I think PayPal has announced an initiative this morning where they're going to dedicate $500 million to help solve some of the problem. You're seeing a lot of other organizations do similarly, but it's going to take focus. And I'm optimistic that as a community, not only the black community, but allies, we can actually solve this together because it's about time we need to. So, um, you know, related to this, um, you mentioned kind of corporate statements and, and stuff around this. You know, we've had, you know, a lot of corporate statements it feels like issued lately, both related to Black Lives Matter and second related to, you know, pandemic things. And we're seeing, you know, comms in general. I mean, it is the amount of crises we're dealing with at once as a, as a country and in the business community. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a six month period like this in my life. How would you rate how, you know, comms departments are doing? I'm not going to pick on any specific companies, but <laughs> is it just too much? The corporate statements? I mean, in particular around Black Lives Matter, is it just too much? Like what, what's your take? My, my take is that if you naturally instinctually were not driven to make a statement and you can't actually say something with real authenticity from your heart and you're really thinking about like, how will this optically look to these players over here? If I say this will offend this person first, if I say this will offend that, like, then you, you, you already are screwed. If you have to go to someone outside organization who potentially looks like me to have them weigh in on your statement that already shows you have a real glaring issue that you don't have a black person on your board or in the C-suite. So you should probably start there and, and, and fix that. So, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of these companies, comms departments, they're, their hair's on fire, but you know what? Like their hair should be on fire with regards to handling this issue because these companies did not handle this issue. They neglected it. And, and, and this is something they need to do. They need to not act with comms. They need to act with action. They actually need to work. We're, we're, the black community is just tired of rhetoric. We want to actually see people that are trying to drive change and, yeah. and do the work and do the work with us. What, what, Kobe, what's the what's one thing that you would like to see boards? It, let's just call it in, in America for now. But what's one thing you'd like to see corporate boards do differently moving forward? One thing. <laughs> yeah, one thing. Uh, I mean, the other day, it's. I I think it's clear diversification of the board makes sense. I think, <laughs> and also the, the way this is oh, this isn't really answering your question, but I think people in this world have sometimes tried to mince words a little bit and use the word minority. Like there's minority. And I think people are realizing that black community is a different kind of minority minority that 
for several hundreds of years has gone through an origin of slavery and oppression and literally, you know, we we walk the streets worried that we might get killed by cops and those cops will not be put to justice. So I'd say when you think about minority, you just realize that the black community, there's something different around our, our journey and our struggle. And just take that in mind with regards to how you think about the black talents of the organization and what you should be doing as a whole outside your organization to drive change in this world because capital is going to be a key factor to do that across a number of different factors that goes into how our criminal justice system needs reform reformation as well as government. Yeah. Kobe, um, we really appreciate you being here with us today. Um, we're actually at the end of our time. It feels like we could keep going for on and on and on, but but I want to be respectful. And we've got uh, one question that we ask all of our guests that, that I want to set you up for. Um, you spend time on social networks. I imagine you spend a little bit of time on Twitter, maybe in some other places. Are there follows, people, organizations that you think are important right now that you'd recommend the listeners of this podcast to go out and subscribe to or follow? Yeah, well, I'd say we put out a lot of great content and be more and more of it coming off of, uh, of Valence. So valence.community is our platform. And then I'm a real uh, personal fan of what my friend Mina Harris is building with Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So Phenomenal Action Campaign is something that I think is taking a stance across multiple different types of, um, of groups and and, and and she overall as an individual, I think, is a lot of, doing a lot of good in this world. So Phenomenal is a really good um, handle, I think, to follow as well as Mina. So I'll, I'll plug her. Awesome. Hey, uh, we really appreciate the time today, Kobe. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hey, Yasha, you're a marketing guy. You're running comms at a company right now. How do you think about corporate statements after hearing that interview? I, I think Kobe is like spot on. Like, there is a, a level of genuineness that you have to have up front. Like it has to be something you care about, it has to be something that has been a part of kind of what is the fabric of your work. And only then is it going to show up in a meaningful way. Like the idea that you can kind of navigate through pandemics or what's happening right now with Black Lives Matter because you think that you have to have a response uh, shows so many different organizations kind of falling on their face. That's a really major takeaway for me too. I mean, if you don't say it right away and it doesn't come from the heart, it's not authentic. Yeah. Um, An incredibly important takeaway from today's discussion for for me as well. And I think a a wide ranging and important conversation and also some interesting insights about the way that you might think about uh, how and if you want to be a VC. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as we enjoyed recording it. Thanks for listening to This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as Sunil and I enjoyed recording it, please go back to the application you found this podcast on, rank us five stars, leave us a comment. We read every single one. Thanks for listening to This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley.